Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This week we are looking at the home building sector, a very interesting one that's been in the news for all the wrong reasons with several of the big players falling over and several more in the wings reported to be looking to follow the same. What can you do to make sure you're protected, to stand yourself in good stead and ultimately have a great home to live in? Look forward to seeing you in the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Laurential. Thank you for having me on the show, Mr. Baxter. Now, you and I are in the game of building things and ideally building people wealth, but unfortunately today we're going to talk about a rather sad topic, and that's the fall of the home builders at the moment. So mm. a couple of names that come to mind at the forefront, big news going on right now. Well, that's right. It's been you know, one a week, I suppose. ProBuild, Condev being two of the really big ones that are out there. You know, the Sharks have been circling around Metricon. I know they've raised some money through finance, but I think that's all done yet. And a raft of smaller ones. So yeah, what's changed in the landscape that's caused this? Where the risks sit for investors? And perhaps where's the opportunity to make some money? Good areas to have a look at. Personal anecdote story. A friend of mine actually bought an apartment off the plan from Condev in mm. Palm Beach here on the Gold Coast. Allegria was mm. the development name. And then shut shop, done. Mm. No more. It's a, a tricky space to be in. And look, I think, you know, the construction industry in particular, uh, you know, we live in an environment of rising costs and the construction industry is one that's certainly uh, at the epicenter of that in terms of getting smashed with, you know, a higher cost of what it's doing and uh, and some greyer outlooks, I suppose, for, for what's coming down the line for property markets. So to uh, kick you off, AB, for these big developers, what's mm. the actual problem at hand? Look, a, a lot of it comes down to the structuring of, of, of contracts. Um, so, you know, there's a cost to build something uh, and then there's a dial-up put on top of that and that's what you, the uh, end consumer, buy if you're buying off the plan. And uh, and those costs have obviously blown out considerably uh, and eaten through any profit margin and any dial-up, uh, leaving, you know, a builder uh, looking at the spectre of building a property for, let's say, 750 grand and having to sell it for 700. Uh, which is you know, far from ideal. And you know, there, are, there are mechanisms around that. Um, as I say, the input costs, you look at structural timber, concrete, glass, steel, uh, labor costs, they've all gone through the roof, um, uh, no pun intended. Uh, and um, that ability to pass those costs on on a, on a fixed price contract are really challenging. A lot of the builders and development work I've done Typically, the construction companies I work with work on what's called a cost plus contract, uh, and that's whereby the, 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 they take a percentage dial up on top of the cost of the raw materials. And there's always a yin and a yang with these sorts of things. Um, the good news about a cost plus contract um, is that it's very transparent. So if the cost of structural steel increases by 10% and the builder's charging you, let's say a 10% dial up on it, well, your building costs will increase by 10% and then you're playing your 10% dial up on, on that total number. So you can see where the money's going. It's very, very transparent. Um, and you're also assured that your house is gonna be completed because um, the builder is not out of pocket having to pay more for materials out of a fixed contract price that he can't afford to then do. So, you know, you're at a chance to get into the finish line, you got a property that's finished up and valued and you can go from there. Um, on the other side of the coin, um, banks hate, uh, typically hate um, cost plus contracts because there is the potential you know, for the cost to blow out quite substantially either through, as we're seeing right now, uh, higher construction costs. Or if you're, a, 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 as the owner a, a of the build, if you're someone that perhaps keeps changing your mind and there are lots and lots of variations on the build. Yeah, and rule number one, if you're doing a development is get the architect, draw the plans up, walk through those plans a million times, sign off on them and stop making changes <laughs> um, because 
every time you do a change on a construction, um, it's it's actually very expensive, particularly if you know, we'll, we'll put the window there. It's only a meter that way, but there's stud walling and all sorts of things. You've got to, it's, it's a, sure. Builders will hate you for it. I think the last the last one we did, which was a place down in uh, in Byron, um, I think we had three variations on the entire build, and an average build is probably 30. That's not much fun. We knew what we wanted. We were very clear on the plans. We had a great relationship with the builder, and uh, and so it worked through perfectly. So in that regard, then the potential for a cost blowout uh, is less likely to happen because you're not making frivolous changes. So let's move the shower to there and put a door in there, and that should be a, a bifold and all the different things that can happen once you start to walk through a property as it's becoming framed out. So yeah, that's a huge one. Know what you want and, and sign off on it and stick to the plan. And that's harder, I think, to do from a, a homeowner perspective because there's a level of emotion attached to what you're building versus something that's a spec home uh, that's pure investment in which case it's just dollars and cents but you do have to have that discipline so cost plus contracts are a great way of protecting the builder the bank doesn't like it kind of holds you accountable to what you want but you do run the risk that the build is going to be more expensive and i guess to to compensate from that banks in terms of their financing arrangements are a little bit more tricky to deal with in that regard um, there's a requirement for a bigger deposit for example to, to offset uh, that potential blowout if it runs over twenty five percent usually yeah twenty five is usually the minimum sort of deposit which you know is pretty pretty steep when you consider a lot of people get into uh, an existing property for you know five or ten percent deposit um, but you know it is a building loan you're effectively effectively taking on and then secondly is the actual payment process so payments and funds will release from the bank um, at stages of completion so they'll send out their quantity surveyor to have a look at the build to make sure that the progress payment that your builder has just given you is appropriate for the work that's been done so there are a few checks and balances in there that that keep the playing field level and i was i've done builds that are that are fixed costs and i've done builds that have been on a cost plus and initially i was bit antsy about a cost plus contract and having gone through that last project particularly in great relationship with the builder I'd, I'd go through that process again because i think it's a really transparent way of doing it so were the issues uh, so was the issue excuse me for the likes of pro building condev the fact that they were on a fixed contract yeah, exactly that so you've quoted someone i'm going to charge you six hundred thousand dollars to build this place uh, and the costs, are, the, the costs are 750 uh, and all of a sudden they're looking at 150 grand loss on the job you go back to the client to say look we can finish the job but we need a top up of cash from you and depending on how the contract is structured of course either the end user is going to pay up or, or they're going to say get nodded that was a contract you entered into okay so why are building materials so out of control ab look a couple, couple of reasons i mean you've seen a uh, housing boom not here in Australia particularly, but even in the US, which is obviously the bigger consumer of these things. And when you've got limited supply and very strong demand prices move up, then add to that, you've had the misery of supply chain disruptions with COVID. Um, yeah, I just saw something over the weekend press, there was a builder in Melbourne and the structural struts, timber struts in this building are supposed to be one piece of timber. And they're actually shorter pieces joined together uh, because they just don't have the supply to be able to do long lengths of structural timber. So yeah, I guess the challenge may be that you, you might be getting a house built today. It may be costing you more than what you expected and it may not be built as well as it could have been uh, if all the right materials have been available at the time. So yeah, there's been a huge, um, huge out of balance between supply and demand. If we look locally, the Australian government during COVID uh, stepped in to facilitate the construction industry's survival. And, and I think we did a podcast specifically on that. And, and, and 
yeah, the construction industry is an interesting one. It's, from an economics point of view, it has what's called a multiplier effect. So every dollar you throw at construction has a cascading effect down the line, where there are more subbies that are buying more materials that are ordering a, a new ute that are going to the corner shop to get the flavoured milk in the newspaper. Which is all good, right? And all these things are positive. So that's why government stimulus in construction is typically... Um, a way of having quite a, a profound and substantial impact on economic growth. The challenge is that it's probably overshot where the help was needed and it, it was running fine for quite some time and needed that stimulus to be backed away. Uh, and you've just added more high octane fuel to a fire that was already raging. And I think that's possibly part of the reason we've got to where we have. So you think it could be a situation of overstimulus on a our government bit, a behalf? A little bit of overstimulus is a, a, another contributing factor, whether it's the main factor, I don't think it necessarily is. But adding that into supply chain shortages, you know, labour scarcity and higher wage costs, uh, uh, higher interest rates now and various other ma uh, maladies that are affecting that sector, absolutely it's a factor in where the problems have come from. Okay, so material costs and contracts. What about the cost of labour for these builders? Yeah, I mean, you look at, I mean, the average wages in Australia yeah, are pretty high compared to a lot of countries around the world. Um, and, and yeah, some of that gets passed on in, in the overall, overall cost. Yeah, if I look in my locale trying to get anyone uh, as a as a subby is pretty hard unless you're paying a big number and don't get me wrong everyone has their right to to, to be paid fully and there's a market price for your labor and, and and that's fair enough uh when you add into that you know options to be in mining or in in government construction projects you know there's a there's a big pool and we just simply haven't had the apprentices coming through into those trades to backfill either so it's that there is a yeah a skills shortage in that space which is then contributed to to higher labor prices and uh, uh, and, and that's a major factor too. Okay, so to talk more about the the subbies in particular, AB, mm. and, and one thing that's come to our attention quite recently is that of the ATO and mm. the outstanding debt that these builders and subbies have. I think it's in the order of is it seven point two billion something. Seven point like? two billion. Single biggest creditors the ATO is the construction industry. That's a lot. And and it, and it's easy to see why. And I mean, if I put on. Well, let's let's look at the, the the locale, and I won't bother naming the particular developer, but he's been bankrupt probably four times in my memory since I've been living uh, on the Gold Coast. Four times, and suddenly he's back up from the ashes as the Phoenix does, and and it's all business as usual again and again and again. And you can almost guarantee each time the tax office is owed you know quite a substantial sum of money, uh, and that's one company, quite a large company. Um, the, 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 the broader issue here, yeah, there's 7.2 billion in outstanding debt to the ATO from the construction industry and, and subbies within it. And the ATO have made it quite clear that they're going to be targeting that this tax year because, you know, everyone needs to pay their fair whack. But, yeah, and, and having been in this space myself, uh, yeah, as a developer, if you're, if you're doing, say, multi-dwelling, so you're doing either an apartment building or townhouses or something like that, at the end of the project, um, your profit on the project, you might take by way of having uh, a, it's it's known as developer stock. So let's say you've got a, a apartment complex, you put in thirty units, and you might keep two for yourself or your super or whatever entity that you're working in. Um, in lieu of the profit that you take from the project, you effectively gifted to two apartments or two units. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah, it's a great tax deferment. Um, ultimately, you're going to pay tax on the disposal, but it's a great tax deferment. And, and, and some of the complex structures that people have can sometimes mean that that deferred tax never quite gets to being paid. So you can understand why that $7.2 billion uh, is sitting there as an outstanding. Um, but I mean, that's on a successful completion of a build. The biggest 
challenge for a lot of the builders at the moment is, is really you know getting to the point where they're able to successfully complete builds to the standard that's required to the timeline that's needed on, on the contract price that they've quoted. And I think Metricon's a really good example of that. Where you know when the news came out, we put some stuff up on our social, and uh, and and at the same time, the interim CEO had stepped in and said, "Look, there's nothing to see here. Everything is fine." And I think you know time has really shown that it's so far from fine. Um, you know, whatever anyone comes out and says there's nothing to see here, you can guarantee that there's something to see there. Um, and, and in Metricon's case, um, yeah, there's been a, a, a reasonable, let's not call it a bailout, um, but there's been some some assistance provided to the company from its lenders and, 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 and a few other parties to the tune of about $30 million to, to keep it in good working order, capital-wise, to, to keep the, the machine working. If everything's fine, you don't need that in the first instance. And, and I think second to that, and, and this is perhaps where, um, you know, some of the challenges in the private sector and the construction space then fall across to the taxpayer in the public sector, which is which is not so palatable. And that is, uh, if you look at, say, builder's insurance, so in New South Wales, for example, um, it's through eye care. Um, you, you, you build and there's an insurance policy that's provided by eye care, which is funded by the state. Um, and that is that if the for whatever reason the building doesn't get completed, you've got an insurance policy paid for by the taxpayer. So that's public, backstopping private. Effectively, yeah. That's, why, why would that happen? That that's that's how it is. And and I think in the case of say Metricon, and uh, like I, I can't speak to the veracity of this, but one of the things I heard over the weekend is that they they've gone on a sales drive, obviously to try and pull revenue in the door and and, and market more properties. Um, but then they're being limited to what they can on sell based on actual completed projects being sold on, and that makes sense because you shouldn't be creating this big bow wave of new orders coming through without delivering the back end product because that puts a tremendous weight on, on on the public sector to have to step in and the taxpayer ultimately to to underwrite the efficiency of the private sector market and that to me is is majorly wrong if you if you are a builder uh, there's a requirement for insurance as there is in you know we have to carry professional indemnity insurance which is incredibly expensive in the financial services sector to uh, to protect our clients' rights in the event of uh, events happening where there's a, a, an insurance claim. That's a cost that we have to bear, and that is a private sector operation bearing its own cost. And I think really that should be the case in, in the construction game too. Uh, and it's an area that probably does need looking after because otherwise, yeah, poor taxpayer is going to get slugged again underwriting um, yeah, the, 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 the financial performance of, of some companies. And let's face it, a couple of them that have gone under, there's been some interest interesting spending. You know, the company's gone out of business, but there's a 450 grand Ferrari uh, owned by one of the directors that was paid for by the company. You know, it's like, okay, and then the taxpayer's paying up the shortfall. Yeah, it's you know, hard. It doesn't quite sound right, does it? From Let's let's talk about the pub test. Um, yeah, no. yeah, And that doesn't really pass the pub test. So, you know, there's a lot of strain in that sector. The ATO are going to be going hard, and that'll be another level of resistance or difficulty or headwind, if you will, for that sector to face in an already challenging environment. But like all all businesses and all industries, there are good times and there are bad times. And let's face it, the construction industry has been through, you know, some incredibly strong times over the last, um, you know, last 15 years. And when there is a slowdown uh, and the bad times come, you can't just pack up your bat and ball and go, oh, well, we're out. Somebody else can pick up the tab for 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 us. We're not we're not going to live with it. It's, it doesn't really seem ethical or equitable in that respect. So, yeah, there's some big scalps. And again, talking to a couple of industry insiders, I, I, I suspect there are a couple of majors and a lot of smaller con, uh, construction companies and developers that are really one contract away from 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 falling over. Uh, and that's not good news because. 
A, you know, it creates a lot of economic uncertainty. But B, we talked about the positive impact of the multiplier effect that construction has on the economy, and that equally is a negative effect when it goes into decline. Uh, so, you know, some qualified help to ensure that doesn't happen is probably merited. But I think a bit of a review of how these companies have gotten themselves into this situation and the nature of contract pricing, particularly. Um, is key. Uh, you know, there's no room for price gouging if you if you've got a cost plus contract and you can see the cost of materials, you can see the dial up, and there's a quantity surveyor checking it. That keeps it fairly transparent. So, AB, as we come to the end of the broadcast, if you're a developer who mm. may likely have a fairly decent tax liability to the ATO, mm. um, costs are going through the roof, and the mm. property market's likely to pull back and see some weakness over the next maybe twelve or eighteen months, in mm. particular. What's your view on the developers themselves, and then the economy as a result of that? Well, a lot of development companies are structured fairly carefully. Uh, and so, yeah, there, there, are, there are many things. If you're in that space, like having, you know, you could use options instead of buying something outright so you get the control of the, the, the property without actually owning it. I mean, is, we could run a subset podcast and all of the different elements of, of development. And look, it's not my, I've done it and I've been all right at doing it too. It's not my area of expertise. We've got clients and, and other people in our ecosystem that are masters of the universe when it comes to this. And maybe we could get them on uh, for a bit of a yak. And interestingly, talking to a couple of buddies of mine in this space that did a proper players they're all pulling their horns in right now uh, and they're sitting back in cash looking for golden opportunities for sites where where things fall over to pick them up for cents in the dollar so yeah there's a there is a fair bit of risk i would suggest in this sector and when you look at listed companies in that space i think you know that it is a sector where i'd say the red light is on from a risk perspective and irrespective of um how cheap those stocks might look and what potential jump value they may have i think they're probably appropriately priced given the economic conditions so it's a sector i'd probably avoid uh, investing in. Um, that said, there are stocks like DR Horton, DHI in the US, uh, and uh, and others uh, that 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 I continue to trade. And I think the market over there is is a little bit different. Um, but yeah, I think there's 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 more pain in store uh, for the construction sector in Australia. Um, while those inefficiencies of the government overstimulus work themselves out, while labour costs sort themselves out, where material prices find an equilibrium, uh, and then add to that rising interest rates just to compound things and maybe a, a, a falling confidence within the economy, slowing down people's desire to buy something off a plan. You know, buying off the plan is a no-brainer in a roaring property market. I've never done it. I probably never will because I don't think it's a particularly good investment decision. But in a roaring market, that ability to uh, to participate. Here's another thing that people don't realise can happen. You buy off the plan, everything's looking fantastic, and the developer sells what you thought you were buying to somebody else because of exercise to sunset clause, for example, in the in the Oof, legal contract. So yeah, there's, you've got to be really, really careful with this sort of stuff. Um, but you know, it's, it's probably a pretty tough market right now to be selling off the plan where you know units are fairly fully priced and the outlook's pretty uncertain. So definitely a risk on sector. Um, can you be short it? Yes, you can. There are ways of doing that. And that's why it's worth upskilling uh, and, and 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 learning how to be able to profit from that. And yeah, this is a fairly confronting kind of podcast, I suppose. Like, like one of one of one of the builders I use is a really good mate of mine. And people always say, "Wait till you do a build." You know, you be over budget over time, and you'll never speak again. It's on time, it's on budget, and I go for a beer with him. Perfect. Right now. So you, it doesn't have to be a fraught relationship. But he's also someone that takes immense pride 
in what he does. He's also a very good businessman. So, you know, and they're all attributes that I, I, I respect and I like. And I've met some great, great people through him in that trades. And, and, and these guys work hard and they deserve to be fully remunerated. But maybe further up the food chain in terms of some of the structural imbalances within the industry, uh, be that through government subsidy, be it through tax, call them loopholes for a, a generic term, uh, be it through business mismanagement, have left a lot of people high and dry that are owed money or owed a house and, and they've got neither. And that's a really unforgivable situation to be in. So probably a, a good sector to look at for some structural reform. Got a new government in play. Maybe it's something that might be something that comes across their mandate to, uh, to take a close look. But you know, the bottom line is that movement of risk and we're all about trading and managing risk. That movement of risk from yeah, the private sector to the public sector is one that you've really got to scratch your head over the uh, the veracity of it. It should be a private sector cost like it is in every other industry. Absolutely. Great insight, AB. And fingers crossed none of our listeners here were, you know, any adversely affected by any of those builders going down. But thank you very much for your insight today. Anytime. Absolute pleasure. There you have it, guys. Make sure you give us a review and a rating and we'll look forward to hosting you next week.